listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. The scripture reading this morning is that uh, familiar parable of the prodigal son found in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the younger son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. The father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Amen. Thanks, Jim. So I am, if you don't know me, I'm Elisha. I am the church office administrator and the discipleship coordinator, and this morning I get to be your guest preacher. Um, So if you guys were here, I would say Happy New Year again, and I would make you respond really loud because I kind of love the energy that that happens. Happy New Year! Thank you! Thank you! (laughs) Oh, 
Oh, I so appreciate that. Um, so New Year's, I think we're all really excited for 2020 to be done. Um, and for me, anytime a new year came, um, it used to me mean resolutions for me. Um, I would resolve to lose weight, but usually by January 3rd, I would be binging on cookies again. Um, or I would resolve to exercise more, and by the 15th, my alarm would somehow not get set properly, and I would sleep longer instead. Um, or I'd resolve to read the entire Bible in a year, and usually sometime in February, I'd hit Leviticus and I'd say, forget this. Um, so resolutions don't really work. Uh, they add weight to our already difficult trials that we're facing. They add guilt and shame to areas of our life that we're already carrying enough guilt and shame. The idea that a new year means a new year is a hard thing to get behind because the things that we resolve to do or to be aren't always within our grasp. If we could just change something about ourselves that easily, we would just change it, wouldn't we? And we probably would have changed it 10 years ago. We wouldn't be waiting just for the calendar to change. And I know that I can't be the only one in this same place. So I come to you today to implore you to put down resolutions and instead turn to Jesus. So a little backstory on the verses that Jim read. Um, he read from Luke 15, 11 through 32, and this story comes right after two similar stories in Luke, a lost sheep and a lost coin, both of which Jesus talks about the joy one has in finding what is lost. All of these are found after Jesus is teaching about what it looks like to be a disciple. He talks about counting the cost in Luke 14, verses 25 through 35, and that we are to give everything up to follow him. And then in verse 15, verses 1 and 2, we learn of the attitude of the tax collectors and the sinners versus the Pharisees. So the tax collectors and sinners are hanging on every last word that Jesus has to say, and they are trying to get closer to hear, and the Pharisees are just looking upon them with scorn, questioning why Jesus would even allow them to be near him in the first place. Um, we're going to start unpacking this by understanding a little bit of the cultural context as well. The cultures surrounding Jesus while he's telling this parable would have found both the father and the son's behavior as utterly detestable. Um, not only would the younger son not have received anything before the father died, he would not have received nearly as much. And on top of that, the inheritance wasn't, you, wasn't given just so you could go squander it. It was used partly to take care of your aging parents. Um, to add another layer on top of all of this, after the son squandered it all away, he feeds pigs. Um, pigs were unclean animals to the Jews. They did not even touch them in order to remain clean. But this son had to touch them, take care of them, and was even eating their food in order to survive. There was no way that this son would have been able to be touched by others, or the others would also be unclean. On top of all of this, we are going to make a couple of assumptions. The first assumption is that the robe that the father put on him was probably his father's robe. 
The ring that was put on his finger was probably a signet ring, which would have made it possible for this son to completely do all the business that he was doing prior to leaving. And then the mere fact that he had sandals brought out elevated this son right back to the same position because it was to distinguish the difference between a son and a servant. So to the Jews listening, this would have been so completely countercultural. The listeners would have felt appalled at the behavior of the son, but also the father. So what can we learn? So even, this is a very common story. You've probably heard it a hundred times. Um, and as we go, I'm going to share the, some verses, and we'll reread some of it, but I will. I will save the full reading again, because there was a lot of verses there. So what do we notice about the father's responses in the return of his son? Um, we're also going to look at the son's choices, both of the sons, because there are three main characters in this story. Um, another idea that we are going to touch on today is repentance. Um, repentance is a really big word, and what it just means is the 180-degree shift in your path. So if you're like me, I don't go anywhere new without pulling up my map on my phone. And it's always right here. And I still miss turns. I don't know what the deal is with that. Even though she gives me multiple warnings, I still miss turns. And then she tries. She, I, I refer to her as a female because she has a female voice. But my phone will tell me how to go. And, and it's always this crazy reroute through all these neighborhoods to turn around. So what do I do instead? I do a U-turn. So repentance is kind of like a life U-turn. Um, so the son does this life U-turn, and the father responds. So first we see that the father responds with compassion. We're going to go to verse 20. And um, we notice that the father actually runs to him as he's a far way off. The father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. The son, has, who has done nothing but demand and leave and squander his money, he runs to him. So the part I love about working away from home, so I, I'll leave. I could leave and leave a giant list of chores for the kids to do. I could have been grumpy all morning. And still when I return, there, there's this rush of little feet and yelling, and I always hear, Mom! And they run to me, and they hug me, and they kiss me. And you would think that I was gone for a week, but we're talking four hours here, guys. Um, and it's fantastic. I, I will never let the weight of that, the feeling of love, and that feeling of just, like they, they just love the ground that I walk on. Um, but this, I know that this isn't everybody's experience. But right along with my kids is the dogs. Well, one of them can't hear very well, but the other dog, she's right there too. And she gets to shaking her whole body. She can't just wag her tail. She shakes her whole body, and she does this really strange, like, whine, bark. It's so cute. And it's the same thing. She has been waiting. She heard the keys in the driveway, and she is so excited about the return, the return of really anybody 
I wish that it was just for me, but it's not. It's for anybody that walks in that door. Um, and so this is how God responds when we return to him. There's nothing that we can do or not do to make him love us more. We turn to God, and he runs to us. He's waiting. He is looking out the window, waiting to embrace us, helping us know that we are loved even when we make giant mistakes, even when we fall flat on our face. God is there looking out the window, awaiting our arrival. So after this compassion, what does the father in Luke 15 do next? He celebrates his son. In verse 22 through 24, it shares how the father is overjoyed and ready to party. I'll reread these verses. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring up the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, slaughter it and let's eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Despite the circumstances, despite the fact that the son has lost everything and abandoned his duty to his family, the father is going to celebrate his return. Celebration was not warranted. Welcoming him back was not required. The father had every right to turn him away, stripping him of even more of the pride that he had when he left in the first place. But God... God takes us back every single time. He welcomes us with open arms and celebrates us. Does this mean that life is easier and that it resets? Of course not. There's natural life consequences that happen because of our choices. But God, he will continue to have compassion and will continue to welcome us back and will celebrate us. While studying for today, some other verses struck me as worthy of sharing with you. Colossians 2, verses 11 through 15 in the message says, Entering into this fullness is not something you figure out or achieve. It's not a matter of being circumcised or keeping a long list of laws. No, you're already in. Insiders. Not through some secretive initiation rite, but rather through what Christ has already gone through for you, destroying the power of sin. If it's an initiation ritual you're after, you've already been through it by submitting to baptism. Going under the water was a burial of your old life. Coming up out of it was a resurrection. God raising you from the dead as he did Christ. When you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all of the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. This is grace. This unmerited favor, the joy and compassion and celebration of our return to him, this is how we know we can return to God from anything we've done. We can do a life U-turn because he will show us compassion and throw a party. And then the third thing he does, he forgives us. 
When God forgives us, the only being who can fully forgive us from everything we've done wrong, it's a wholehearted welcoming back in his kingdom. Like the Colossians verses show, all of our sins are forgiven because of Christ. Not only does God forgive and let us back into his kingdom, but he puts on us his best robe, his signet ring, and sandals. We can be a full part of what God is doing around us. We are fully welcomed back into God's world. So we're going to recap. So how does the father respond to the lost son? He runs to him, showing compassion, and welcomes him. He celebrates his return, and then he fully forgives, allowing him full access to his kingdom again. Um, So I ran across this story online by author Jay Weil. It is a story of a true prodigal son um, with his father in the perspective of of his daughter, the father's daughter, the son's sister. So when this young lady was 13, her brother had a sexual relationship with a foster daughter who was living with her family. The foster daughter became pregnant, but no one knew. Her brother and the foster daughter conspired to accuse her father of molesting the foster daughter. It was all done so convincingly that the young lady believed her brother's accusation, despite her father's protests of innocence. She was taken away from her family because of the allegations, and a restraining order was put in place so that her father could not see her. Because of many things that happened over the next few months, it became clear to her that her father was, in fact, innocent, and that her brother had done the unthinkable. He had betrayed their entire family for his own selfish reasons. She eventually got to live with her mother again, and her father fought to get the restraining order lifted. That was eventually successful, so she did get to see her father, but in the end, her father went to jail for a crime that he did not commit. This young lady was, of course, furious at her brother for what he had done. She didn't want anything to do with him, and I completely understand. Not surprisingly, her brother eventually went to prison for something else that he did, and then something incredible happened. Her father was transferred to the same prison where her brother was incarcerated. Taking this as a sign, her father arranged to have a meeting there with his son. She shares that her father confessed to her that he didn't know what he would do when he saw his son. Would he hit him, hug him, or both? But when they met, he simply held his arms open wide and said, I love you. If you've ever wondered what unconditional Christ-like love is, you don't have to wonder anymore. This man's actions personified it. It didn't matter to him that his son falsely accused him of a horrible crime and as a result took him away from his family. In the end, what mattered is that he loves his son and regardless of what happened, he needed his son to know that. So it's not always easy. The circumstances are never going to be just right, but when we can turn back to God, remembering how God responds to the prodigal son is important. So this is where I ask about you. Maybe today you're fully relating with the son in the parable. Maybe you've chosen to take your own road for far too long, squandering the resources God has given you, choosing to feed the pigs instead of going back home. Maybe you feel too dirty, too lost, too broken to return. But God. What does the Father do? He runs with compassion. He celebrates over him, and then he forgives him. 
So at my lowest moment in life, over a decade ago at this point, I chose to walk away from what God was asking me to do, and instead of taking the path that I should have taken, I chose to take another. It all lasted a few months, but it fully wrecked me. I was a mess. I remember thinking that there was no way that anyone could ever love me again. I was broken in ways that I was certain I would never heal from. The lies, the others I hurt in my path, the shame that I felt, I carry them, still sometimes today. And I remember thinking that there was nowhere to turn but God. Through the months and the years that have followed, I've slowly come to grips with this part of my past, and it will always be something that I am sorry for. But God, he has fully welcomed me back. He has shown compassion to me through the healing of my marriage and the growth of my family and the internal peace that I never thought would ever return. He ran to me. He provided me a new church home in which to heal, provided just the right people to walk with me when I was broken, and sent me love in ways I never thought possible. He fully forgave me the moment I asked and slowly started to weave my mess of a life back together just the way he had intended all along. The celebrations have not ended. Recounting the story still stings, but the joy on this side of the story is the celebration that God has blessed me with over and over and over again. Specifics aren't even necessary because my story isn't your story. We have all experienced lows. We've all experienced walking away down a different path than what we know we should do. And what we do with that that's what really matters most. Something to point, about, point out about this parable specifically is it really doesn't offer a theology or a model of repentance um, or a detailed idea of God's plan for us forgiving others. Um, we cannot just pick out that, that behavior in this father and decide that we need to forgive others that way. This is not a model for that. This story, used by Jesus, spoken to a group of sinners and tax collectors in the presence of the Pharisees, is a story of how God receives us. The way that God has compassion, celebration, and forgiveness for the ones that return to him. So with that being said, you can still put yourself in parts of the story um, placing myself into a story helps me to understand it more fully, so I hope that this helps you as well. So I've spent a lot of time talking about the prodigal son, but there's also the brother. I have one more story for you. Actually, I don't even know if it's the last one. You might have to listen to more stories. So <laughs> my sister moved away when I was 11 or 12 to Arizona. And every time she would come back to visit, life would stop. She would tell us when we could see her, and no matter if there was already something on our calendar, we were to stop what we were doing and be available for her. But inevitably, as life happens, she would switch her plans last minute, and instead of missing out on seeing just my sister, I would also be missing out on that other thing that I had to cancel. 
I spent the time that she was here so angry. I felt like I didn't get nearly enough time with her, and I deeply enjoy her. I enjoy her still to this day so much, and it's just never enough time. She's a blast to be with. And the time that I did have with her was so filled with other people and other emotions that I felt like an afterthought. She would leave and I would be in tears for hours because it was never good enough. Um, and I had spent too much time in my own feelings to be present in the life that was happening around me that it soured each and every single vacation with her. So the brother in this story shows how we all can get stuck in our own stuff. We see others controlling the show and we can get jealous. We watch others get the nice car, the bigger house, get married, have children, the better job, and we're stuck in our own feelings and we might be filled with rage and jealousy or heartache. It often feels like God blessed them more, gave them more, loved them more. But in reality, we're often too stuck in our own feelings to enjoy what's going on around us. The brother in this story could be grateful that he's going to have to help again. He's going to have help again. He could be grateful that his father will be fully happy and restored again. He can have gratitude just to have his own loved one back. So when we see others who we don't think deserve what they're getting, we need to remember that God also has compassion for us, celebrates us, and forgives us. It may not look the same as those around us, but in order to truly enjoy your own life, we need to choose joy and be present in the moments that are happening around us. As Jesus shares in the parable in verses 31 and 32, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. So what do we do now? We need to remember what the Father's response is and then we need to act. So back to resolutions. I do not want you to make another resolution today to act because they're no good. We cannot change ourselves on our own. We cannot always make better choices on our own. We cannot just resolve to be different, but God. You can turn back to God. If you are a lost son or daughter, you turn your life and head back toward the one who will have compassion, who will celebrate, and who will forgive. This can look different for all of us, but it all starts with a conversation between you and the God who has been looking out the window, awaiting your return. If you're the brother, I would love to have you start tracking your gratitude, especially in this new year. Focus on what God is doing for you, not what he's done for others. Remember that you have been walking with him all along, and he wants to invite you in to celebrate the return of your brother or to join in on the joy of your father. Be in the moments that make a difference for those around you instead of sitting in your own hurt and your own anger. And also, I want you to love yourself. I want this to be the year that you begin to fall in love with who God made you to be. God meets us right where we're at, and he's going to meet you right where you are at. 
So leaving resolutions aside, we can turn the page and the calendar in a different way this year. We can firmly place our hand in God's. We can choose to take steps in that direction. We can walk with God more. We can choose to take the steps necessary toward whatever you turn it is that we need. Will life be perfect? Of course not. It's in the mess. It's in the chaos. It's in the perfectly imperfect that you can find your own but God moment. Please pray with me. God, I thank you so much for all that you've done for us. And today I want to start celebrating with you the return of those whom you love. And I want to have your joy in your heart for those around me. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.